Welcome to Headliners, the podcast. This is the paper review that won't put you to sleep. You can catch us live every night from 11 on GB News with a panel of top-notch comedians going through the biggest stories hitting the next day's papers. But don't worry, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Headliners. Mark Dolan, and this is Headliners, your first look at tomorrow's papers. Tonight in the company of the hugely talented Leo Kurs and Jonathan Cogan. Now, let's take a look at tomorrow's front pages, and we'll start with the Telegraph. And Liz Truss, inevitably our next Prime Minister, is writing for the Sunday Telegraph. And in her piece, she says, no more sticking plasters on energy. Uh, Front-runner pledges twofold approach on the energy crisis as she finalises her cabinet plans. Also in the Telegraph, water firms' revolving door puts former regulator in top jobs. Also, we'll run out of booster jabs, warn pharmacists, as over 75s rollout begins. OK, where shall we head next? Let's have a look at the independent Russians pay respect to... Uh, Mikhail Gorbachev, uh, however, a noticeable absentee was Russian President Vladimir Putin. I guess washing his hair that day. <laughs> <laughs> the horrific treatment of Rwanda flight refugees is another story in the independent testimony reveals self-harm and distress of those forced on the plane to Rwanda. OK, the Observer next. Pack cabinet with Johnson loyalists at your peril, Liz Truss told. Top Tories warn likely contest winner not to have a partisan cabinet. Also, leave.eu in liquidation as loan and fine left unpaid. It seems that they've been in the red to the tune of £7 million. Many would argue that's money well spent because they got Brexit done. Also, simply the best, a brilliant photograph of Serena Williams uh, at the tender age of 40, uh, bowing out of the US Open in what looks to be the end of a majestic tennis career. The Sunday Mirror now. Before Truss starts as PM, Tory MPs plot to bring back Boris. Disgraced Boris Johnson could return to number 10 in an astonishing plot hatched by warring Tory MPs. Sounds a bit far-fetched to me, but there's an allegation that 12 MPs plan to submit no-confidence letters in Liz Truss, set to become the new PM on Monday and want a leadership vote by Christmas. Blimey, that's what I call a Christmas turkey. <laughs> Sunday Express now. Exclusive. Prime Minister's tough message to Tories. Which Prime Minister? I hear you cry. Liz Truss? Boris Johnson? Well, it's Boris, yep. He's still the PM for a day or two. And he's written a piece exclusively for the Sunday Express. And he's told warring Tories to end their bitter infighting and unite behind their new leader. And last but not least, my good friends at the Daily Star Sunday. For your pies only, MI5 looking for chubby secret agents. Live and let fry up. Don't scoff. The Secret Service are offering new recruits a license to grill. MI5 are looking for new spies and bosses say tubby agents will be harder to spot than a muscle-bound bond. And those are your front pages. Let's kick off with the Sunday Times and Liz Truss being compared to a dog with a bone, Jonathan. 
That is right. So Liz Trust, like a dog with a bone, choosing her top team. Now, it may be a little bit early, but uh, Trust is said to be relishing the task of appointing prospective ministers down to the most junior ranks and laying out instructions for a radical reshaping of Boris Johnson's Downing Street machine. Um, so, potentially exciting times. Uh, a senior Conservative said there's going to be a mass changing of the guard and a close aide of Liz's said, Liz has been in Parliament for a long time. She has a strong views on her colleagues. She's doing most of this herself. So she really seems to be, to be setting out her game plan. I mean, she's not won yet. You think, you think it's going to happen? You, you're sure about it? Yeah, I, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm literally, I'm rolling the dice now. Yeah? Polls, polls are never wrong. If, any, if, if Brexit and Donald Trump's election taught us anything, it's that polls are never wrong. Always right, always right. Um, I mean, she's... She's uh, named a few people, um, so Kwasi Kwateng, a long-standing Truss ally who lives on the same street in Greenwich. Uh, she's going to become, or they're going to become, Truss's chancellor and move in next door to her on Downing Street. And another person, James Cleverly, is likely to be foreign secretary. I haven't heard of these people, but I'm not particularly well-versed in the uh, <laughs> leaders of our country, so that's, uh, that's on me. But um, also, quite sad, I found out that... Uh, Sunak himself is expected to head to the backbenches, where he may awkwardly find himself jostling for space with Johnson, whose premiership he did so much to end. So that's kind of a sad ending. Well, for... you have to speculate, don't you, as to whether Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak will run for uh, their seats at the next election, or whether this could be the end of their respective political careers, because well, they would both make a lot more money if they left the Commons, wouldn't they? Yeah, and I think right now, and pretty much for his whole career, Boris has been focused on self-aggrandisement and, and making money. And, you know, now he's, he probably feels like he's done his public service, even though he hasn't really done much. Where has he been for the last few weeks? He's been, like, on holiday. He hasn't yeah. even turned up to his own, his own farewell party. <laughs> and, uh, and, yeah, so now he wants to go on, you know, strictly come dancing on ice or whatever. Yeah. And uh, he's, he's going to do that. But I just wish the Tories had... I know they've got this eight-week selection process. I wish they'd just been like, look, we're, the country's in crisis. Let's just get it done in a week. Let's show that we can... We're the Conservatives. We're supposed to be the people who can move quickly and decisively. So, yeah, just pick somebody and, and be done with it. And, uh, I mean, it's just... It's, not, it's nice to know that, that Truss is coming in and he's going to be a bit more of a classic... Conservative instead of the sort of Corbynite conservatives we've had for the last uh, 12 years. Well, yeah, many people would argue that Boris Johnson is the most left wing prime minister since Clement Attlee, given yeah. the fact that he basically paid people to stay at home, <laughs> which yeah. is the definition of communism. He'd be left wing for a Labour leader, never mind a Conservative Party leader. So, so uh, Truss is going to come in and, uh, you know, she's, she's very much free markets, low tax, uh, low regulations, get things moving, let the economy. Anti-woke as well, because the, the wokeness, uh, people think it's just a culture wars thing, as we'll see with some of the other stories. Uh, prov uh, uh, woke, wokeness, uh, EDI, equality, diversity and inclusion, uh, really brings a, a drag on businesses' uh, you know, effective operation and their profits. Yeah, correct. And our collective mental health as well. Mm. The mail on Sunday now and the ban on fracking could be lifted in days if Liz Truss gets in. Uh, Leo. Yes, yeah, so as, as we're talking with, uh, with some of the regula regulation stuff that Liz Truss is going to get rid of, uh, she's going to lift the ban on fracking within days if she becomes Prime Minister as part of a drive to boost the UK's energy supplies, which is great news and something we've, we've been crying out for. I mean, obviously, with stuff like this, it takes a while uh, to get the ball rolling and to get the, you know, the, the wells drilled and gas coming out. Uh, I think with, uh, with North Sea Oil, she's also going to um, approve over 100 licences to drill in the North Sea but they have, on average, a 28-year lead-in time. So, you know, this isn't going to 
save us this Christmas. But, I mean, at least it's, it's something. And I think, you know, it'll affect the futures market. It'll bring the, the price of gas down. And I think fracking is a bit quicker than, than North Sea. Um, but, yeah, this is, this is some of the regulation she's going to tear up. It's going to be fantastic because we've really got growth has been stifled right. in the UK by, by nimbyism, by people not wanting things in their backyard, you know, motorways, new housing, power stations, wind farms, anything that, you know, can provide economic growth and provide the things we need, the infrastructure we need. So, you know, she's going to get Britain moving, which is Yeah, good. well, it's also nimbyism, nimbyism that stopped reservoirs being, being constructed, exactly, which is yeah. why we had such problems during the heatwave. Um, and, and it's interesting because you hear, don't you, about presidents saying their first 100 days. It seems like for Liz Truss, her first 10 days are <laughs> going to be crucial. Um, they're, they're writing in the... Or she's writing in the Telegraph, there's a hint that her first budget will be at the end of this month. Yeah. So she means action. Yeah, I mean, she's had eight weeks to, to sit around thinking about it while she's been uh, campaigning. But, yeah, and she's going to, apparently, anybody who's worried about, you know, fracking, if you're, you're worried about um, disrupting your community, if it happens in your community, you're going to get 25% off your energy bill, which <laughs> at this bad. week's price is about, yeah, that's about a million quid. So that's good. It's, it's true, isn't it? And, and, and uh, the point is that this woman has a mandate, not necessarily from the British people, but from her own party, to tackle this crisis. I actually think, Jonathan, that we won't have politics for the next year or two because we're at war, you know. You, you've got these spiralling energy prices, you've got inflation, yeah. mm -hmm. you've got the cost-of-living crisis, and mm. it's just a case of, look, get your head down and fix these problems. This is not ideology, this is just real life. Yeah. OK, I, I totally see where you're coming from with that. I think it's, like you say, these are times of crisis and it's really important to just make decisions. They don't have to be the best decisions well, just move towards something and try and, you know, let's get some energy. Yeah. Because... Uh, and yeah. she's got the 80-seat majority that brought Boris won, so, you know, she can use that. Yeah, until... well, well, that's exactly right. And, and I just... I mean, it's not going to be Theresa May um, Mark II because Theresa May presided over a hung parliament yeah. and, and that made her weak. I mean, Winston Churchill would have been weak in a coalition. Yeah. That's how it works. Yeah. Uh, and she has got, hasn't she, Leo, a two-year opportunity. This is a chance for her to audition for the role yeah. of our prime minister at the next election. A lot of people are writing her off. I think that's a mistake. Yeah, and a lot of people are saying uh, she's coming in at a difficult time. But actually, Theresa May came in and had to deal with Brexit. Oh, yeah. Boris came in and had to deal with Brexit and then deal with with COVID. So uh, you know, given you know, she, she's a, she's in a position where where things can't really get any worse. Don't jinx it, Leo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. You know? But but that's right. I mean, in a way, expectations are low for Liz Truss. Exactly, Maybe yeah. that's how she should play it. Yeah. 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 Um, look, I think we all need to get behind her, and I'll be talking about that in tomorrow's show. We're doing a, a Liz Truss a new Prime Minister special from nine. The Sunday Telegraph now, and the process of sending those behind bars is increasingly being done behind closed doors, Jonathan. That is right. So, secret justice fears as record number of cases heard behind closed doors. So, serious crimes are being handled by magistrates without public scrutiny as ministers seek to clear the post-pandemic uh, backlog in the court. So, there's obviously been a lot of uh, cases and trials that never got to uh, manifest. So, now to kind of speed things up, record numbers of more serious offences offenses are being dealt with uh, in secret hearings by magistrates as ministers seek to speed up justice and clear the backlog of post-pandemic cases. Um, so there's been a significant increase in these, um, and they're called uh, SJPs, which are single justice procedures. Um, now, obviously, these have their critics. Um, Penelope, Penelope Gibb, founder of Transform Justice, uh, which is a charity that campaigns for open justice, said, the government uses tick box justice simply to cut costs. Uh, the increase in SJP for more complex and serious crimes is simply a function of their desire to save money on an open court hearing. So the question is, 
is this a necessary measure where they can speed up these uh, cases that have been uh, left in the backlog, or is this just a way to save money and kind of rush things through? Um, see, if I was going to court, which I imagine will probably happen someday, I would like to be able to be there and defend myself, mm. and maybe have an audience in and, you know, get some cheers. And if I wanted to call up a surprise witness just for the fun of it, I want to have that opportunity. I don't want to have someone else. I I'd love to know um, in what context you'll go down, by the way. Um, please. Fashion, po fashion police. <laughs> Something I did terrible at a water park. I don't know. Something. You uh, forget to uh, swipe that organic hummus in the self checkout at Waitrose. Yeah, or the yeah. I mean, hummus. I'll take that as anti-Semitic, but you know, it's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, who knows? We're all going down, right? Yeah. Although, I mean, with they, they found ten percent uh, of these SJPs had errors in them, mm. but they're dealing with things like uh, TV license dodging. So, you know, nobody's oh. going to... We're not going to see another, like, Birmingham 6 as a result of this. Nobody's going to be languishing in jail for 20 years. As, Those as people are heroes to me. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> yeah, don't pay it. Why would you pay it? Too right. Uh, look, uh, the Observer next, and the US lending a hand to Taiwan in the form of arms, Leo. Yeah, so we've got Ukraine happening in, in Europe, uh, but there's also some sabre-rattling from China over Taiwan, which China obviously sees the, the, the island of, of Taiwan as, as part of, of China. Uh, and uh, America has, has a policy of protecting Taiwan at any cost. So the Biden administration has announced a 1.1 billion arms sale to Taiwan uh, as the, the tensions between America and China escalate over Taiwan's st uh, status. So it includes uh, $355 million for harpoon air-to-sea missiles for any ships from China that tried to come over. I mean, it's obviously a, a bit easier to defend uh, Taiwan because it's an island uh, compared to Ukraine. Uh, they're also uh, doing, giving them air-to-air uh, -air missiles and also radar. The biggest part is, uh, is, is radar um, surveillance uh, program for, for air defense mm. warnings. But, um, but this is, I mean, Taiwan, uh, it's an interesting situation. It's much harder to, to invade, even though China's a huge power. Uh, it's much harder to, to invade an island. And we've seen, you know, Ch China firing missiles over Taiwan and, you know, sending uh, airplanes and, and ships into Taiwanese, it, yeah. Taiwanese air and stuff. Uh, but I think China's actually weakening. So we're seeing, you know, there's the Evergrande property crisis in, in China. And population decline, is it? Population decline. They're, they're hitting that demographic squeeze from the one-child policy. The COVID uh, lockdowns are a disaster for their economy. They're still having these insanely restrictive still, lockdowns. they still got the zero COVID policy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. It's a cold. No, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, especially. I mean, China, I mean, you invented it. You know, surely you should be getting used to it by now. But on the other hand, uh, Taiwan imports a lot of stuff. So it imports 98% of its energy, right. which is just about all of it. I think there's like one solar panel in Taiwan and imports 60% uh, of its food. So, you know, this, uh, as China, uh, you know, gets into a sort of soft conflict, there, there could, be, could be more... Uh, issues and also Taiwan uh, creates a lot of the microchips that we need. So it's it's almost like the sort of Silicon Valley for a microchip. But the White House seemed to have been very hawkish when it comes to uh, Taiwan and China because I mean the uh, leader Pelosi. of the House of Representatives, Nancy Pelosi, uh, visited that part of the world. Now they're arming Taiwan. So mm. the the uh, the White House are up for a fight, aren't they? Yeah, and I think they know. I think they know that China is is weakening. You know, for for years, for for a couple of decades. China just seemed to be on a relentless course of growth and military might, and now it's actually been weakened by uh, by the fact that you know the, the Communist Party is becoming more autocratic under Xi Jinping. It's becoming more of a sort of uh, you know Putin-esque, and also TikTok. 
Yeah, yeah. well, take, TikTok, take them down from the inside. I mean, China's actually great at some of the some of the soft warfare. So things like TikTok, which yeah. is created by the Chinese government to corrupt and uh, degenerate. Revenge Western for culture. the opium wars, do you reckon? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Get the, get the well, it's addicted. more addictive than opium. Yeah, Stop just that. a bit. Uh, well, I, I, I'm sure you speak from experience. Uh, the sun on Sunday now and the skies of Mississippi played host to some shocking scenes this morning, Jonathan. Yeah, this is a pretty wild story. So an airport worker has been arrested after allegedly stealing a small plane and threatening to crash it into a Walmart after posting a chilling goodbye message on Facebook. So a guy called Corey Patterson, you know, if you're called Corey, you're going to do something radical, uh, of Shannon, Mississippi... <laughs> He eventually landed in a field after five hours of flying around Tupelo and came close to running out of fuel. So shortly before he hijacked the plane and the crash landing, allegedly, Patterson left a chilling goodbye message to his family on Facebook, which said, sorry, everyone, never actually wanted to hurt anyone. I love my parents and sister. This isn't your fault. Goodbye. And that's pretty sad stuff. But yeah. fortunately, nobody was hurt. Now, the authorities claim that around 5.23 a.m., Patterson threatened to deliberately crash into the Walmart. Now, if I was going to get crushed to death in a Walmart, I'd want it to be getting a discount TV on Black Friday. I wouldn't want it Correct. to be an airplane. That's the, only way. That's the only way to go in Walmart, is in a Black Friday catastrophe. But <laughs> after making a contact uh, with the police, um, they managed to convince uh, this gentleman to land the aircraft in the airport. Now, that's quite an exciting thing to do. Now, this guy was obviously suicidal, was having a terrible time. I would urge anyone who's ever sort of felt like that to seek help and, you know, speak to someone and don't... Well, instead of nicking a plane. Yeah, but if you are going to kill yourself, stealing a plane... Hmm. Although it shows that flying cheers you up. Yeah. He, he was suicidal, he stole the plane, went for a fly, and then he was like, whoa, this is great. <laughs> great. And then he wanted to live, so he landed so he can go and do it again. Although he probably yeah. won't be allowed to. But also, to with all those cancelled flights, I mean, I think his interest in flying should be sort of channeled positively. I wonder whether EasyJet or Ryanair might be... My hiring. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I mean... <laughs> a couple, although, of hours, I mean, couple of hours on a simulator at Flybe, see what happens? Well, there's a, there's a few issues with his, with his flight history. I mean, he wanted to fly into a building and stuff. But, I mean, you Not know, great. in the current economic climate, can we really be picking and choosing pilots? Uh, I, I love it when people steal stuff. Remember that guy stole, uh, not steal stuff, but like steal, you know, crazy things. Uh, there's, there's a guy, there's a guy uh, stole a tank. Remember that? And he went on a rampage. Maybe it's a horrible story for the people involved, but I mean, well, great to watch on. If no one got hurt, then that's, it's a, oh, that's rad. But people got hurt. Oh, right. <laughs> well, look, uh, obviously, a worrying story about mental health and yes. an, an awful decision, and thank God nobody was hurt. Exactly. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, Morris Papers, the Sunday Telegraph now, and I hope our taxes are being well spent keeping our health service running, Leo. Well, I'm afraid <laughs> to tell you, Mark, your taxes are not being spent wisely, so the NHS is under fire for spending more than £700,000 of tax taxpayers' money printing virtue-signalling staff magazines, including tips on diversity and Black Lives Matter. So they included a Black Lives Matter pledge, lectures on Islamic art, and staff told to embrace your diverse self, uh, according to freedom of information requests by, um, what are they called, um, Taxpayers Alliance, I think. Um, but yeah, the, and also the, the magazine. So one, one of them, a Leeds Teaching Hospital NHS Trust, uh, included a full-page lemon drizzle cake recipe with more than 300 grams of sugar. I think drizzle was the theme of the magazine, if I'm honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Despite one of West Yorkshire's top ten ambitions being to reduce childhood uh, obesity. I mean, this is... I know in the NHS, an organisation the size of the NHS, £700,000 doesn't sound like a huge amount of money, even though it would pay for a lot of a lot of nurses and or a few kidney dialysis machines or something that's, you know, more useful than some magazines telling everybody how racist they are. Uh, but this is the tip of the iceberg in, in terms of, you know, EDI, equality, diversity and inclusion and all these regulations that, that stifle business, stifle productivity. They don't let people, you know, hire according on merit 
hire it, you've got to hire according to you know whatever criteria, what demographic you're you're trying to uplift, and uh, and yeah, and, and constant sort of HR busy bodying around uh, microaggressions and and safe spaces and all this sort of nonsense that all costs money and all gets in people's way. Well, yes, and and also people always quote because look, it's clear that the frontline medical professionals in the NHS are amazing. The nurses and doctors, the Harold porters. Uh, well, yeah, with a few exceptions, right? Uh, you've also <laughs> got he, he slashed bills. He he slashed Harold Shipman. Honestly, he was a pioneer. And he, slashing he, the bill to the taxpayer. He edited the magazine. He started it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's all about opinions here on GB News. But look, um, the issue is, I mean, people talk about the NHS being the biggest employer in Europe. And they yeah. say that proudly. It's like, why is that a good thing? I mean, that's, <laughs> a, that's a worrying statistic, isn't yeah. it? Um, it needs to be slimmed down and rationalised. We need to get like a better bang for our Britain. buck. And we <laughs> need to focus on just getting people well again. Yeah. And not having woke magazines, not having rainbow... Uh, pedestrian crossings in front of hospitals. Yeah, yeah. Not having um, pride ambulances. It's just like, yeah. just stop people from dying, please. Yeah, absolutely. Should focus, like a lot of businesses, just focus on the core thing. When when businesses get diverted into trying to, you know, do some sort of, you know, right right thing, politically correct thing, virtue signalling, like Netflix, you know, with all the ESG, environmental, social, and, and governmental regulations around their investors, which say, oh, you've got to have, you've got to make this many shows, you know, uh, for for Black Lives Matter, this many shows uh, with trans people in it. So then they're focusing on ticking those boxes instead of making the shows, instead of making compelling, engaging drama or funny comedy. Uh, so it, it destroys. It and and destroys the viewers of all backgrounds and all races find it very boring and cancel their subscription. And then the share price tanks, which, I mean, obviously the NHS, uh, you, you can't buy shares in it yet. Not we'll yet. What, we'll see what Liz Trust does. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, but, but also, I mean, we've seen it with, I mean, this week, a, a scandal over the fire, fire fire service painting one of their trucks. That's coming up. Rainbows. Oh, it's coming up. Yeah, right, it's well, coming well, up. Well, I'm glad, Spoilers. I'm Whoa. glad you're, you're across that. Because, uh, <laughs> but but it's, it's like the cops with the rainbow cars and dancing at, at festivals and all the rest yeah. of it is that uh, it's not the police's job to make the world a better place. It's their job well, to make the world a safer place. Absolutely. And then the police, because they're trying to be politically correct, they end up taking sides in, in debates. And we saw, uh, this, we saw the police uh, actually uh, removing Pride lesbians. Event. Pride event. They removed the kick oh, lesbians yeah. out of a Pride parade. And it's like, surely the Pride parade is there for lesbians. You know what I mean? You can't just kick them out because they're perceived to be the wrong kind of lesbian <laughs> or the wrong opinions. It's a nonsense. Well, let's get to that fire brigade mm. story shortly because it's an absolute corker. Uh, but, Jonathan, let's talk about the Sunday Times uh, next. Uh, what have you got for us? Uh, yeah, so this is no laughing matter, sadly. Laughing gas causes rise in spinal problems. Uh, so this is quite Tragic, actually. A 25-year-old woman, uh, Kel uh, Kerry Donaldson, is now uh, suffering from severe nerve damage caused by using nitrous oxide, uh, or laughing gas, as it's called. Um, so uh, laughing gas, which is also known as whippets, balloons, nos, hippie crack, fiddler's elbow, clarky cat, Hufflepuff revenge, <laughs> and waking up with Sam Harris. Now, this uh, drug... <laughs> although this drug can be a lot of fun, we don't condone the usage here, um, and it actually causes health problems, and they're increasing in both number and severity, doctors have said. Terrible. Um, so, yeah, there's a concern, uh, concern from the Association of British Neurologists saying that, uh, yeah, the statistics are going way up of people with nerve damage linked to laughing gas. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so this is actually the drug, if you don't know, that's used by dentists... Well, it was used to be used by dentists in like the 70s and 80s when people would have surgery, they'd knock them out with laughing gas. My mum actually told me that when she used to have it as a kid, 
in the dentist, you had dreams about like uh, Doctor Who, and I've really kind of trippy dreams. So that, as a kid, made me want to try it. But I actually think Doctor Who is for nerds. So. <laughs> well, and laughing gas is for nerds as well. <laughs> yeah. It is. It's not even a proper drug. But um, yeah, the, just to reassure anybody who's you know maybe done some laughing gas or has children who've you know um, teenage kids that have done laughing gas, it's not the like this this woman uh, Kerry Donaldson. So she'd been to hospital with uh, with issues to do with this laughing gas. Uh, uh, she, she lost all feeling in her hands and legs, but she felt unable to stop losing balloons. It's like uh, you've been hospitalised oh from using this it's thing. It's addictive. Like, just stop using it. It's, it's super addictive. There's a clue. Like, yeah. stop using it or you might end up in a wheelchair. True. I mean... Uh, but they yeah. call it... They, they literally... This is not me making up. They call it hippie crack because it's really compulsive, the use. So you do yeah. one and you want another. But so, yeah, like any drug, it can just be abused. Um, just do one. Yeah. And sit down. Do none. Do, do none. Do none. That's what I meant to say. They should legalise mushrooms instead. They're like if you combine it with combine it with nos. Relatively harmless. Yeah. yeah. Do, you like, do, you like the, do you like the chestnut ones or the taste of difference white mushrooms the, from Tesco? Which... Like a portobello. Oh yeah. But, uh, but yeah, no, mushrooms used to be legal. Uh, you could buy them on the, the streets of London and they're sandwich boards on Oxford Street. Um, and then they criminalised them, and it's a shame because they're a sort of spiritually enriching. Um, you know the. A good thing. Yeah, and they make you a fun guy to be with. Uh, <laughs> I'm here all week. Uh, let's talk now about this story in the Mail on Sunday. And football sponsors come in all shapes and sizes. Um, but this one in a double D, Leo. That's right, yeah. So an under-10s football team in Nottingham has been told that they must cancel their sponsorship deal with local bar Hooters. Um, so both, both Hooters and the club came under flak for announcing the sponsorship with a series of images showing Hooters waitresses posing with the under-10 team. Just in case anybody doesn't know what, what Hooters is, because I think it's more of an American thing. It's like a, it's like a cafe, a greasy sort of cafe, like a, you know, hard rock cafe or whatever. But the women uh, tend to be quite attractive uh, in the Hooter region and they wear quite tight clothes. So mm. it's sort of like it's almost... It's like a, a strip club light. They, they don't take their clothes off, but, you know, you can sort of tell what it would be well, like. My, if my, my director, uh, Adam, who's been working in television for over two decades and uh, ITV, some of the biggest stars in the country, he said it's like uh, TGI Fridays with boobies. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. That's, that's what I was looking for, really. And, uh, but, yeah, people on Twitter went crazy uh, because this is, you know, it's, they're hetero... They're, um, they said, why are Hooters sexualising kids? That's the job of drag queens. Mm. So, you know, they're very upset that this is uh, people, um, heterosexual uh, people, um, sexualising kids instead of your traditional, you know, the family sex show or, uh, you know, some, some queer story time. <laughs> Double standards, eh? Yeah. Who knew? You've yeah. been to Hooters. I actually have my bar mitzvah at Hooters. Um, or <laughs> actually, that's called Hooters. Um, but yeah, no, um, I had to wait in the car. No, I've been once. So I went to University of Nottingham and then we kind of went semi-ironically when we were, like, 20. Mm. And it's fine, you know, like... It's Nottingham, so they're not, you know, bringing out the A game. But yeah, it's, uh, it's. Uh, uh, I'm joking. I'm not joking. Uh, yeah, no, and um, yeah, it was a, it was a fun experience. A bit sad, you know. You feel like you're paying for female attention, but yeah, what's, what's different? Yeah. So much of life is. Yeah. Yeah. So lonely. <laughs> that rather, that rather sombre, sombre note. The Mail on Sunday uh, and how school kids are struggling to read. As long as it's written down, uh, you can pretty much say what you want. Jonathan? Yeah, not fantastic news. So 175,000 11-year-olds uh, starting secondary school are unable to read properly, Ofsted have said. So um, these are some troubling statistics here. A quarter of Year 7 pupils uh, struggle in lessons because they can't read properly. Uh, and, uh, yeah, these 
pupils can't grasp unfamiliar words or read um, at such slow speed. Sorry, I've literally done it. I'm, <laughs> I'm one of them. I'm only 11. Yeah, so basically kids, for the most part, can't read and they can't understand sentences because all their attention span has been fried. And also yeah. lockdown, you know, they had two years of not learning properly. Um, so disruptive lessons during the pandemic means the youngsters are still trying to catch up on skills they should have learned at primary school. Would you look at that? An unexpected yeah. consequence of locking everyone in the home for two years. Oh, brilliant. Fantastic. Well done, everybody. Who knew? I, I've got to say, I am starting to go off these lockdowns. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's almost as if all the people who said, you know, look, you can't lock everything down. It's going to be disastrous for the economy. Uh, Putin's going to start a war in, in Ukraine. We're going to run out of gas. You know, all those people were, were correct. There's so many bad things with lockdown. And, you know, for what? For a, for a cold that, all right, it kills some people. But, you know, that only matters if you like people. Absolutely right. This guy does not sit on the fence. Let's be honest about that. It's why we love him. Now, uh, the Sunday Telegraph have got an interesting story. Uh, one university feminist society that's made headlines. Leo. So a university feminist society has been purged by trans activists with its email accounts shut down and members quitting for their safety. So it's the women-only uh, Swansea University Feminist Society. And obviously there's a, there's a you know, battle uh, in feminism at the moment between uh, people who want to include uh, transgender women uh, but self-ID transgender women so you know like basically me if I say I'm a woman uh, and also uh, you know on the other side there's, there's people referred to as TERFs uh, trans exclusionary, exclusionary radical feminists who don't want any uh, transgender women or at least say you know look you can come in but you've got to make an effort put on some lipstick drink Chardonnay, stuff like that. Um, and this is, this is happening. Apparently, there's, there's an issue. Toby Young from the Free Speech Union has been... Uh, who's going to be on this show uh, soon. Uh, he was... Um, he's saying a lot of feminist societies and universities are being forced to shut down because of pressure from trans rights activists. And it's, it's a bit of a shame. That, well, I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to pretend it's a bit of a shame. Really, when trans rights activists and feminists fight, society wins. It's, and I laugh. It's a bit like a, the sequel of a superhero movie where, like, the radical feminists are teaming up with the kind of right-wing men to take on their new enemy, the, the, yeah. Yeah, the trans activists. So it's sort of... You know, the enemy of their enemy. And yet and they there's come nothing together. radical about these feminists. They're simply quoting from biology textbooks that there are two biological sexes. They're old-fashioned feminists. Yeah, they are. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because, I mean, many would argue with trans ideology that women are being erased, mm. and it's lesbians too. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we were discussing that parade. What happened there? Some police got rid of some protesting... Yeah, police uh, asked uh, lesbians to, to leave, forced lesbians to leave the march in, was it Bristol or somewhere like yeah, that? Yeah, and, and uh, I think they were, the, these particular lesbians were walking along with a placard that said, uh, lesbians don't like willies. <laughs> Which I believe is another biological fact. Yeah, Stop well, the press. Is my girlfriend a lesbian? <laughs> and let's have a look at this story in The Independent on Sunday with a heartbreaking story about a group of uh, ladies. Talking about independence. So, the girl bosses who girl bossed too close to the sun, the demise of women's utopia. The wing was long overdue, apparently. So, the notorious woman-centric members club and co-working space called The Whinge... Sorry, The Wing. <laughs> Freudian slip. <laughs> so, that uh, company, that place is no more. Um, so, once billed by its co-founder and entrepreneurial it girl, Audrey Gelman, as a woman's utopia, and you're thrown away from home, 
the wing, uh, yeah, the wing opened in 2016 to a flurry of fanfare, media attention. Now, on the surface, the concept was simple: charge professional women between 170 and 240 pounds a month for access to luxurious millennial pink spaces where they can network and work and eat poached eggs, uh, eat poached egg dishes called Fork the Patriarchy. Well, it uh, looks like the feminists have finally run out of eggs. Oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, yeah, and so this was a real... <laughs> that's the reaction I want. That was nicely done. Thank you, thank you. So this was a real sudden closure. So uh, there was no fanfare. It just kind of went. Uh, an email was sent out on Tuesday the 30th of August uh, announcing that all the wing locations would be closed permanently and they basically just shut down their Instagram, cancelled everything. They basically just ghosted everyone, which is a female dating strategy, if you ask me. So yeah, <laughs> happened to me enough times. I know, I know ghosting when I see it. So yeah, just sort of like that, gone. Yeah, I mean, I think we just need to give up this group mentality where we all get divided up into genders and races and yeah. political. Yeah, I disagree. No, no, I agree. Of course. Well, yeah, and as, as the last story showed, you know, you can't even do it. Like I could yeah. just be like, yeah, I'm a woman, and then they've got to let me in, or the police throw them away. That's exactly right. Yeah. Well said. Uh, the Mail on Sunday now with some more woke updates. Um, I always thought a microaggression was a sign that my labradoodle was hungry, but <laughs> Leah. Yeah, more of this equality, diversity and inclusion nonsense. So uh, there's the Royal Geographical Society's annual international conference and around 1,200 geographers attend this uh, from around the world and they, they were asked to follow a strict code of conduct with the, the threat of expulsion for any transgressors. Because obviously geographers are notoriously, you know, they're like Genghis Khan. <laughs> oh my God, the, the wild little Motley Crue style shenanigans. They love looking they are, they are sort of bearded, sandal-wearing fascists, aren't they? Yeah, 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 with, the, with their maps and their compasses. Oh, my God. Hmm. Disgusting. But, yes, yeah, so they had a pre-conference workshop on preparing for disclosures, uh, which was organised for anyone who thought they might be told about incidents of harassment, discrimination, bullying or violence. Uh, there was a... In the FOI, the, the actual conference, uh, they had large banners saying, keep your hands to yourself. <laughs> Don't judge what you can't see. Misogyny is a hate crime. And there's a special recovery space uh, with a counsellor which was set up for those wanting to disclose an incident uh, or needing a, a place to relax and decompress. Do you know, but, that would make me want to give it the full Harvey Weinstein. Well, they, they did. They did. Oh, there were maps everywhere. GPS systems. No, they, absolutely nothing happened. No, but I would. Uh, I'd, go, geographers. I'd go on a handsy rampage just to annoy these people. Just the average Mark Dolan, then. Correct. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm like... No, but it's an obscene story, isn't it? I mean, if you're getting bullied by a professional geographer, you need to have seriously reconsider your life. No, yeah. no one's getting bullied by a geographer. But what they're doing is these warnings are like sexualizing everyone because the geographers were not going to be sort of, you know, handsy with anyone and groping individuals. But you've got all these warning signs saying don't grope people. Well, the thing with all this equality, diversity and inclusion nonsense is it comes at a huge cost and it's, it's rising. HR departments, the, the cost of them is rising every year. It's on a parabolic curve. It's insanity. And uh, it's fixing a problem that doesn't exist. You've got 1,200 geographers. Everybody's looking out. You know, they've got all these people paid to look out for anything that could be misconstrued as a microaggression or sexual harassment or any sort of prejudice. And they're finding none. They're finding none out of 1,200 people. Because obviously, they're geographers. They're not going to... It's not, it's not, they're not comedians or, or the Parliamentary Labour Party. They're, they're geographers. They're, they're generally nice people. So they found absolutely nothing. And, uh, and yeah, so what a complete waste of time, complete waste of money.
money. And isn't it about time we did away with all this nonsense? Well, too right. It reminds me of the Constantine Kissing contract that he was asked to sign, the brilliant comedian yeah. and, and podcast host, who was asked to sign this contract before doing, I think it was even a charity gig. Yeah. And mm. he had to agree to all the things he wouldn't be, which is sexist, homophobic, yeah. um, xenophobic, God knows what else, you know. And uh, and this is the problem with these, these sort of directives. I particularly find the microaggressions are an issue yeah. because that's really a way of controlling people's yeah. way of behaving. Because you, you can interpret anything that, that's as a microaggression. And therefore everyone's just so afraid they don't say anything. Yeah. And, and that is actually an abusive dynamic. Yeah. Because yeah. if you're afraid of what you're about to say and you kind of have to think through everything, and is it appropriate? Yeah. That's how abusers work. That's how abusers make other people behave. Absolutely. The quality, diversity and inclusion departments, the HR departments, they've got the power over, over you, over your over your uh, job and over your future jobs. Because if you if you get pinned with you know any of these things, future companies are gonna see that in a DBS check and they're not gonna hire you. So they've got the power. We need to we need to scrap this and just get get back yeah, to Yeah the work sense. rules are deliberately confusing and they deliberately change so yep. that you can't win. Yeah. There you go. Uh, the Mail on Sunday bringing a ray of sunshine to our emergency call-outs, Jonathan. Yeah, you're not going to like this story, guys, I, I have a feeling. <laughs> um, so Fury After Fire Brigade spends £17,000 of taxpayers' money on decorating engines in LGBT rainbow colours. So three fire brigades spent £17,000 on painting fire engines uh, with the, uh, the LGBT flag. Um, so and Oxfordshire, Dorset and Wiltshire and Suffolk have spent, yeah, thousands since 2017. So it's happening here. Uh, apparently, they also changed the siren to a really sassy gay guy going, yes, rather than the actual... Uh, <laughs> so, so I hear. Uh, and, um, I mean, I, for one, refuse to be rescued by a fire engine unless it's got a, a flag painted on it. Why would I, why would I yeah. accept that service? And I will only be carried down a fire engine ladder by a one-legged uh, lesbian dwarf. Quite right. Because it's about equality. But yeah, the thing is, I mean, if you paint something with the pride flag, the pride flag changes every week now when they add something else to make it more diverse and inclusive and all the rest of it. So I think that I think they're adding the, the ISIS logo to it next. So, you know, if you do this, next week it's going to be judged, you know, racist or whatever. Oh, yeah, don't forget the minor attracted adults. That'll be the new group that yeah. the, the works decide <laughs> yeah. that are going to be represented. Yeah. Uh, well, let's just hope it was uh, fire retardant paint. John, uh, yeah, well, also, also, these are some of the bravest men and women working. Give them the money. They're doing an impossible job. And then yeah, that they, money's not going to them, it's going to paint jobs. They could have possibly spent that money slightly better. Amen to that. Independent on Sunday now with the offer of a lifetime. Less work, same pay. Leo. Yes, yeah, so uh, Cambridge Council, South Cambridge or District Council to be precise, uh, are going to trial a four-day working week with no cut to pay. So instead of working five days, you work four days, but you get the same amount of money than uh, what is thought to be a UK first. Uh, so they're going to trial uh, this for three months uh, for 470 office-based workers before potentially rolling it out to bin collectors. Oh, it really makes me wonder. I mean, how will council staff manage to get all their work done in just four days? I've, I've worked for councils, honestly. That, that, that place is it's just a holding pen for the laziest people in society, including me, for a while. <laughs> You know, but then I found out you can do GB News and just work, you know, two hours a day. But yeah, it's it's a nonsense. They're they're telling them, you know, if we see no uh, drop in productivity, uh, you can keep this. So they're obviously going to work quite hard for the three month three three months of the trial, and then once it's over, just go back to being lazy because they'll be on the the permanently on the four day week. However, it's good for work life balance, isn't it, Jonathan? Um, I think you could you could argue that. I mean, is there anything written in in cosmic law about five days being the appropriate 
amount to work? I don't know. I mean, since I've been working for GB News, I've been doing the four-day month. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> and you look exhausted. I've got yeah, to say. Oh, yeah, really. I look pale. I, the, the makeup lady forgot to do me um, <laughs> and my makeup. Um, oh, no, uh, uh, no, right. Um, yeah, no, I, uh, what do I think? Look, if it makes people more efficient, which it obviously won't, then great. But I don't know, I don't know if it will. I mean... I think in a different, a different company, a different corporation, organisation with different ways of measuring productivity, mm. I think in a council, everybody knows council, oh, my God, Councils never work. If you want an easy life, you know, fair enough, you don't get paid as much as if you're a stockbroker or something working for South Cambridgeshire Council, but you're not going to work as hard. So, yeah, if you want an easy life, go and work for the council. Everybody knows because that. Because you don't have a boss that's worried about the bottom line. Exactly, exactly. And the culture comes from, from the top, and if uh, the culture is just people jostling for political power and position and how much you know, money they can suck out of the taxpayers' trough, then, then they're not going to be worried about how hard you're working. In fact, the, more, the way it worked in the council was the bigger a department got, the more important that person was. So, you know, they just want to suck in more people to, to sit at desks and, and appear to be working so they'd be more important, it, they'd get more money. Is that fair? Are they not delivering world-class public services? Well, listen, the frontline people, so bin collectors, people like that, I've got maximum respect for them. They go out enforcement. People like that do, you know, uh, social, social workers do great work. Hey, it a takes a lot of planning to paint fire engines multicoloured. So. <laughs> exactly. But, but yeah, the people in the office like developing stuff like policy, I never understood. I worked at Harringay Council. Why do they have a policy department? It's like, surely their policy is going to be the same as Camden yeah. or Hackney or whatever. Just share the policy. Yeah, you don't clean the to. streets. Yeah, uh, yeah. Stop people stabbing each other. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be nice. Empty the bins. Yeah. Who knew? There you go. There's your manifesto. Leave me and Leo in charge. <laughs> Tomorrow's Observer with a defence tactic even Dr Evil will be proud of. Jonathan. Yes, indeed. Um, the Observer, which is also known as The Guardian on Sunday. Is that right? Yes. Yes, fantastic. Certainly. Um, so a fuel leak comes after NASA fixed an engine issue that postponed the original launch attempt five days earlier. So uh, some technical issues here. NASA's rocket at Cape Canaveral, Florida, after the first launch was abandoned over an apparent issue with an engine, uh, engine cooling system. I think I may have fluffed this slightly, but nobody noticed. So uh, NASA's pioneering moon rocket sprang a hazardous fuel leak Saturday, throwing into doubt chances of a successful launch on a test flight that must go well before astronauts climb aboard. So it looks like they've had continuing um, technical problems with this. Uh, I think there was quite a lot of anticipation for this launch, uh, but before it did, hydrogen fuel began leaking from the engine section at the bottom of the rocket. So NASA has halted operations here. Uh, luckily, no disaster. I think that could have gone way worse, but you know, yeah. it happens, happens to the best of us. Yeah, leaking always... hydrogen fuel, that, that's, you know, that can sometimes be flammable. Somebody's walking past, you know, <laughs> yeah. an astronaut's walking past smoking a wood pine. Can be, but this, this whole thing, the NASA rocket is a, is a huge waste of money. It's just pork barrel politics. They make it, each bit's made in a different state, so everybody gets, gets a cut of the taxpayers' money, but the cost is insane. The, the system, the space launch system, costs $23 billion to develop. Uh, each launch cost $2 billion. Now, compare that to Tesla, Tesla's, uh, or uh, Elon Musk's SpaceX. SpaceX. Uh, they will uh, send the same payload into orbit for $50 million. Wow. Well, wow. That, that goes with what you were saying about if you don't have a boss worried about the bottom line, then there's exactly. less incentive to be efficient. hundred percent. And Elon's uh, rockets come back, don't they? They come back. They're reusable, recyclable. So they don't land on a dolphin. You know, they, you, can, you can use them again. It's just, yeah. it's just what 2022 wants. And also his rockets, have they got like a really nice flat screen and a good DAB radio and things like that? Absolutely, there's a little bottle of mineral water <laughs> in, the, in the side. Uh, by the way, another story in relation to NASA, and it's about asteroids. 
That's mm. right, yes. Yeah, so um, in a few weeks, NASA controllers will deliberately crash their $330 million dark robot spacecraft into an asteroid. So it's a half-ton probe. Uh, <laughs> uh, why is that making you laugh? No, I just thought um, that. That's, that's uh, female pilot training, but I didn't say right. <laughs> You're back in Hooters, aren't you? Yeah. I thought you were laughing at the probe and the size oh, of it. But oh, anyway, that's that, funny. half-ton half probe will be travelling at more than four miles a second when it strikes its target, Dimorphos, which is this asteroid. And it'll, it'll be destroyed when it hits this, this asteroid. But the aim is straightforward. So space engineers want to learn how to deflect asteroids, like in all those films when they send Bruce Willis up to, you know, crash a rocket into an asteroid. So they want to see if they can, you know, divert an asteroid in the future. But I don't know why they have to actually do it, because I thought this would be simple Newtonian physics. I don't know, but then I, I'm not an ast astronaut guy. I think it's worth trying out, because this is, I'm actually genuinely fun. concerned about, yeah, it's fun, and I'm concerned about asteroids. That's like the main existential threat I'm worried about, because they can just wipe out the whole of civilization really quickly to the point where it's, something's got to be done, otherwise yeah. that's the end of us. Like it's, all, it's all good going to space and everything. But is that but... a bad thing or a good thing? I mean, the more, <sighs> I, see again. A, the more <laughs> I see a TikTok and like... <laughs> yeah, lives of TikTok. Thinking, yeah, maybe, maybe we yeah. should have this asteroid. Have you heard the theory that there was a society that got wiped out by an asteroid 12,000 years ago, the Younger Dryas Impact, and there's actually an advanced civilization? Maybe this is not the right show for that, but that's the interest. Look into it. Educate yourself. Now, Jonathan, let's uh, look at the Mail on Sunday. Yes. When you went to Hooters in Nottingham <laughs> once, did you take protection? Um, I didn't need state protection because apparently tight pants that you wear as a contraceptive uh, are pretty handy. Um, so tight pants that you wear as a contraceptive, French study reveals men are overwhelmingly happy to wear a jock strap instead of using condoms. So the underwear, um, which is mostly worn by sportsmen, actually raises the temperature of your uh, genitalia uh, by two degrees Celsius and it lowers sperm count. So apparently it does that enough to actually work as a form of contraception. Now, they just won't stop until everyone is infertile, will they? Mm. That's is that the goal? Just wear tighter and tighter pants so you can't have kids. So if, just if you haven't been transitioned and made sterile, sterile from that in your childhood, wear tighter pants. Yeah, I mean it's just. What? And also there's soy. There's the the hormones uh, that mimic oestrogen in soy. There's plastic in the water. There's the contraceptive pill in the water, uh, reducing the sperm count for men. There's the, apparently obesity reduces your sperm count as well. Sperm counts have dropped and over 50%. And reading the Guardian. Reading The Guardian reduces it to zero. And, uh, yeah, the sperm counts have dropped by 50% in wow. the last, like, few decades, and nobody's totally sure why. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it could be completely a hormonal thing or... I don't know, but this, there's a this... lot of other stuff. Watching Frozen. That will do it. Going to see musical theatre. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm a big musical guy. Voting Lib Dem is another <laughs> yeah. tricky one for sperm that counts. That yeah. well, This is all, by the way, scientifically proven. Oh, this is, this is objectively statistic. I mean, so our French study has shown that men are overwhelmingly happy to wear a jockstrap instead of using condoms. So people are into it, but nobody likes wearing condoms, realistically. Like, my girlfriend and I wanted to have uh, better sex, so I bought some thin-field condoms, and she still felt fat. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful work. You can tell he's just come from the Edinburgh Festival. Uh, tomorrow's Metro with some penny-saving tips. Don't waste money on drugs, just rub up against an angry spider, Leo. Yeah, so this guy, Nathan Green, he's a dad. He went to the pub. Uh, he's a 50-year-old tug company manager. <laughs> <laughs> I assume that's boats. But, uh, so he's, he's in Suffolk and he, he woke up on, on June the 13th feeling like he'd been run over and thought he'd been spiked. He'd actually been sitting in the pub and a spider had bit him and then had sex with him. Uh, no, it didn't. Uh, so, yeah, it just bit him. It was a hot day. He was in the garden. Uh, he felt something go up and tickle his leg, so he just brushed it off, didn't think about it. He was drinking away quite merrily, and when he got home, he started shaking and felt cold. Uh, he felt really rough and thought, this ain't right. 
Uh, I felt really, really ill. He went to A&E after a blister in his leg grew to the size of a small football. I love this. This is a classic British man who won't go until the blister is the size of a football. Yeah. You know what I mean? Nice. It's got to be taken over his body before he'll trouble the NHS. And yeah, by the, by the next day, his ankle was bright red and three times the size it should be. He was bitten by a false widow spider, which I'd have thought a false widow, that means it's not going to be as dangerous as a black widow, but apparently the false ones are still... It's a politically dangerous. correct way of saying uh, black widow spider nowadays. You've got to change the name. But also, it kind of sounds like a... Um Sounds like a GB News Spider-Man remake, like a guy in a pub <laughs> getting bitten by a spider. That's yeah. it. You're no, already, no special story. powers, no. just like a big blister on his leg. The power to consume pints. I have a shoot-to-kill policy when it comes to spiders. Yeah? Really? Yeah, I don't spare them. Oh. I'm, I'm not going to be Googling which is the <laughs> non-dangerous variety. Yeah. That's a good app. You scan it, it tells you what it is. Oh, really? No, but that, I mean... Oh, right, oh, so it, it doesn't exist. No, but... Right. Well, maybe, the, though, I don't the know. insect equivalent of Shazam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not a bad show. Right? I like Shazam. spiders. Work, work well with Mons. people as well, wouldn't it? You just sort of wave your phone at someone, it just says, not wrong and <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> not, not. There you go, thank you for that. <laughs> Hope the kids are enjoying the show. <laughs> Can we finish on the Daily Star Sunday? Just a few seconds on this, but uh, what is... Uh, cannibalistic ladybirds. Yes, a story in the Daily Mail. Uh, STD-ridden cannibalistic ladybirds invading Brit homes, but experts say leave them be. So the large, ferocious Harley Quinn variety of ladybird is riddled with a sexually transmitted fungus. Guilty. Uh, they can also be cannibalistic and make meals of smaller native species, but people are encouraged by experts to just leave them alone because of the possibility they will confuse them for another species, which we all know is a microaggression. I always <laughs> knew those ladybirds were a mucky bunch. Thanks for listening to Headliners, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode again. And if you enjoyed it, leave me a nice comment. Speak to you at the same time tomorrow for the paper review that's never boring.